Hi, you're listening to a recording of our panel at Orchaim on ChatGPT, the halachic, ethical, and professional implications of emerging artificial intelligence. Our speakers on this panel were Rabbi Akiva Danzinger, Jewish Studies, Arts, and Engineering teacher, Mr. Hillel Raff, the principal of B'nai Kiva Schools, and Rabbi Mordechai Torchina, Rosh Kolel of Beit Midrash, Zichron Dov. The reason we had this panel was really so that our students would be aligned with the mission statement here at school. The first element of our mission statement is to create a yeshiva environment where religiously committed Jewish boys and girls will be able to grow intellectually, socially, emotionally, and religiously in a vibrant Jewish setting. It was really important for us to make sure that our students were engaged in a conversation about both the intellectual elements of emergent AI, as well as the religious, halakhic, and ethical implications therein. The second element of our mission statement talks about methodological tools and self-reliance in Jewish texts and general studies. And again, as emergent AI grows, as ChatGPT becomes more and more embedded in our students' lives, it's really important that they understand what are appropriate uses and what are abuses of this new technology. And with that, I'll turn it over to our first panelist, Rabbi Akiva Danziger. Um, so these chatbots are actually not, not that new technologically. They, they go back since the 80s. They've been created in different forms. Obviously, this one is more sophisticated than previous forms. But at first glance, um, these type of technological innovations often seem very impressive. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz before you know that there's some guy behind the curtain and you think this great wizard is doing this crazy type of operation. So you write something in like, how did it know that? How did it know what I actually meant in my question? Sometimes it, you didn't write your question clearly and yet it picked up on what you're trying to ask. And uh, when you unpack it a little bit and you realize that actually all artificial intelligent bots like this that communicate with you and that are using human language actually can be reduced to really two parts, two portions there. There's the database portion, and then there's the algorithms that it's using. And the database is really, uh, there are two forms of, of uh, database. There's input and output databases. In other words, there's a massive amount of information that it has. And true, this, this particular one has a, one of the largest databases ever, not necessarily the largest. They locked it at, at 2021. The database is not actively growing. The, there is a, a misconception out there that uh, as we interact with it, the database continues to grow and it learns new information. The database does not actually continue to grow. They locked the learning in 2001 because uh, they had a bad experience with an, an earlier uh, uh, kind of bot like this that was done by Microsoft that they left it open so it could continue to learn as users were using it and the, the bot turned racist and misogynistic because of what people taught it. Uh, and that was a flop and, and it actually collapsed as a, as a business model. So this one they decided to lock uh, so, it's not, so it has that, that database of information, and then it also has a database of outputs, in other words, of template responses, thousands that were programmed into it, of a template, and it plugs in words in drafting its response to you. Uh, and then it also has the algorithms that it uses, which are also very sophisticated in terms of breaking down your sentence to understand what's the verb, what's the noun in the sentence, and try to pick out what you're asking in order to draft its response. But that's essentially the way all these AIs are working, is there's a data set and there's algorithms that are, that are used. And these algorithms could be a massive co collection and they could get pretty complex. 
Um, and, and this one is fairly sophisticated, but at its core, when we use the word artificial intelligence, it's a little bit misleading in terms of we think that it has some kind of, uh, of uh, intelligence capability that's exactly like the human brain. It's not. It's mimicking human thought and it's mimicking human reasoning and so on, but it's essentially pre-programmed um, um, algorithms that, that do that. Now, in its original state, uh, the program was learning but it wasn't open to the public. It was learning in terms of every response the program gave you, you would rate that response from zero to five or one to five. And the program had an algorithm that, that was written for it to try to um, use responses that are eliciting a, a, a five reaction. Now, it's a reward-based system. We're giving it, so to speak, points for the better responses that it gives. And it learns to which patterns are working and to try to create those higher quality answers. But that's been closed already now. And now that it's available to the public, it's not actually learning and it's not actually, uh, uh, it's not learning new data and it's not uh, uh, gaining new algorithms or what kind of responses are advantageous. The program is capable though of keeping track of your conversation while you are continuing uh, while you're in within a single conversation with it. So when you refer back to questions that you've asked earlier or to answers that it has given, it is capable of continuing to build, but very often the limitations of the technology become very apparent when you start following up on the questions that you've asked before and when you start challenging the answers that it's giving you, very often you start noticing that repetitive pattern that you're not actually dealing with a human being and that you're getting an algorithm uh, type of a response. Okay, um, thank you for inviting me to talk about this from a halachic perspective. I wasn't told that I was talking about generally the ethics of AI. I was told that I was talking about a specific question, which is a student has the opportunity to use ChatGPT to write an essay and pass it off as, uh, as his own. Um, what's the halachic, uh, the, not that anybody ever would, but a, a thought question. Um, you know, what's the halachic issue? And the truth of the matter is, like I've talked about the ethics of AI and the halacha of AI with various kinds of professionals. So I did a session for doctors a while back on, on medical practice, did a session with uh, financial advisors on investing in AI. Um, and there are all sorts of really interesting questions, honestly a little more interesting than the one about you know using it to cheat with your essay. Like you're a financial advisor and you use what's called a robo-advisor, where you have an AI that will actually generate the investment plan, but you don't tell your client. You build a client as though you're the one doing the work. Um, is, that, uh, is that okay? What if your robo-advisor comes up with a pump and dump scheme to manipulate the markets, right? Are you liable for what the robo-advisor does? Um, you're a doctor, and the AI that you're using for diagnosis tells you the diagnosis is X. But you, with your years of experience, believe that that's wrong. Do you follow what the AI tells you, or do you follow your own instinct? There are a lot of really interesting questions that are, that are out there. And I bring these examples because really being a student is like being a professional as well, meaning you have investors, you have coworkers, you have competitors. Um, they're all around you. Uh, you have employers. And the, the halachic questions of am I allowed to use ChatGPT for my essay are all you, have, you can understand them within the framework of being a, uh, being a professional. Your teacher is your boss. Your peers um, are your coworkers slash competitors. Your parents are your investors. And if a person uses an AI um, you know, for their essay, um, they run afoul of certain halakhic considerations in all of these relationships. The most obvious one is lying. 
right? Handing in an essay and saying, I wrote this, when in fact it wasn't something that you wrote, is an issue of sheker. And that can be something that causes harm in the relationship with your teacher slash boss. Uh, your peers as your coworkers slash competitors who are really annoyed because they put in the work, um, your parents as the investors, your future university or employer who looks at your resume and looks at your GPA and thinks that you earned it honestly. So that's all sort of one framework and that's, the, uh, that's, a, that's a basic issue. There's also the issue though of the relationship with your parents as your investors, right? What did your parents invest? Sorry? Tuition, right? They invest tuition dollars. And here we have two considerations. First of all, there's a halacha called Mavata Kiso Shel Chavero. Somebody has money that they want to invest, and they say to you, would you please invest it? And instead, you stick it in a closet. You don't invest it at all. So what you've now done is you have taken their money and left it dormant instead of letting it be used the way it's supposed to be used. And worse here, um, you're actually the managing partner on the investment. And their investment was for you to learn. But because the AI wrote the essay, you never actually did the learning. So there's the issue of harm to the, uh, to the investment. There's also the issue of your coworkers. I'm guessing that a fair number of you are familiar with the issue of PEDs, right? PEDs in sports, right? The, um, so the problem of performance-enhancing drugs in sports, one of the problems is that you know, it's bad for you. Um, but another problem that is that if I, let's say I am a star fill-in-the-blank, running back, quarterback, whatever, you know, uh, defenseman, if I, not, not so much in hockey, but if I were to use performance-enhancing drugs, that would create pressure on my competitors to also use performance-enhancing drugs, which are bad for them, because they need to keep up with me. And the same thing applies here. If I use it for an essay, I create pressure on other students who want to keep up that they should do it as well. And this is a problem of lifnei iver. I am putting a stumbling block in front of others by tempting them to do something that is bad for them and something that's, that's inappropriate. Finally, I think finally, because I'm at four minutes, the, um, there's also the issue of the damage you do to yourself. In, uh, in this, there's actually harm to oneself, and we are prohibited from injuring ourselves in a range of ways, physically, financially, intellectually, and it certainly applies here because three of the most, most important intellectual skills that you're going to pick up in high school are organizing your thoughts, writing well, and working hard. More than the core information you're going to learn in a math class, in a science class, or whatever it is, those skills that you use in essay writing are actually really, really important in life. No one's going to care if you go on and become a fill-in-the-blank. Um, you know, unless it's a math field, no one's going to care about the math that you learn, but they're going to care about the skills that you picked up in learning math. They're going to care about the skills you picked up in writing an essay. And if you use ChatGPT, you eliminate the opportunity to work on those skills, and that's an act of harm against yourself. So there are all sorts of other issues, and I assume that uh, we're going to hear more about those, but that's just my view of sort of the student as a professional using the ChatGPT. Chat it's the harm to um, all the professional relationships by lying. It is the frustration of the investment that the parents make. It is causing your fellow students to stumble because they're going to now need to, uh, to keep up with you. And it's the harm you really do to, your, uh, to yourself. So um, I think ChatGPT is wonderful. Um, uh, generally speaking, like, like generally speaking, I think it's really, really bad for you guys. 
Um, and I'll explain what I mean. And I, my, my mandate was to talk about ChatGPT from a philosophical perspective. Of course, that's a very broad sort of category. So um, uh, Rabbi Turchino did a really good job, I think, of, of capturing the ethics of it from a halakhic perspective and from a personal perspective. So I want to look at it a little more meta, a little more big view. Like, how is ChatGPT going to impact the um, philosophy of education? Like, what we set out to do as a school. Um, and, and to that end, I, I make that comment, that I think it's actually really good for education in the long run, and I'll explain why, and I think it's really bad for you as students in, in the short run. Okay, so for, for education in the long run, I think ChatGPT is just the latest um, innovation that has brought about the following question. Why are we all here? Like, what's the purpose of this whole thing we're doing in school? You know, paying the tuition, getting a transcript with a bunch of marks on it, handing that transcript to university, getting accepted to that university, you know, getting a bunch of marks then in university, and then, you know, going off and, and choosing some, some career path. Let's, let's just use that as a sort of simple view of what we might be engaging. What, what's the purpose of all of that? So I think there has always been a tension in education is, is the purpose of this endeavor that we're engaged in, is it to actually fundamentally give you all some basic skill set that you will actually need in the world, right, to navigate life more successfully, right? Or is it some sort of access mechanism, right, where, you know, you, you pay some money and you do a bunch of tasks, right, so whether that's math or science or English or history, you get evaluated on those tasks, and if you earn a high enough mark, you get more access than if you didn't earn a high enough mark. And it's an access game. So the more access I can get, the better, right? And more successful I am. And that's the goal of school. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard. I think, you know, teachers like to assume often it's number one. It's all about skills and everyone's building skills. But at the end of the day, number two is really accurate, right? Like, like you... You tend to think of school as, well, who's successful at school? The students who earn the highest marks, right? And they are the most successful at this thing we're doing right now, right? And, and their reward is they get to choose among the widest range of university programs, right? And we tend to think then the following reward will be they get to choose among the widest opportunities of career choices coming out of university, right? So maybe that's success, right? Now, I think this question has always been present. And as technology has come into play, especially with the advent of the internet, this question has been put to the test in various ways, right? So ChatGPT to me is like the, the you know, well, let's, let me reverse that. Wikipedia is the caveman version of ChatGPT, right? So when like Wikipedia came out, right, every teacher was like, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? Students can just look this up on the internet. Right? But then I remember when I was in school and I was looking for an easy way out of, of, of a paper, first thing I would look at was the encyclopedia, right? which was like just you know, a printed version of Wikipedia. Right? And, and that was not a source. I couldn't cite Encyclopedia Britannica um, uh, for a paper. But it was able to give me sources that I could then look up and you know, maybe say, oh, look, I found this source. And if I was really careful about it, I would actually go look at the source and read through it carefully. If I wasn't as careful about it, I would just kind of put the source the source in there, right? But it's the same essential question, right? Of I am not doing a certain fundamental piece of work that is the actual purpose of skill building, 
right? Like I'm meant in the, in the intention perhaps of the assignment to go do research, read through a lot of information, pull out the relevant information, apply that relevant information to the topic of my paper. That work is the skill that I'm building. So when I was in finance years later, Right? And my job was to write our quarterly reports for the fund that I worked for. So that means every quarter I had to write a massive 20-page report about all of our investments and what they were doing. And we had different portfolio managers and what they were doing. The skill of being able to collect a massive amount of information and pull out relevant information, that was a skill that I built in school, frankly, not to a really good degree. And it took me a really long time by professional standards, meaning months of killing myself, like being up all night, right? Basically teaching myself that skill set on the job, right? Now that worked out okay, but I maybe didn't need to suffer through that period, or I would have been much farther ahead when I started my job having built that skill already in school, right? So, so if we're talking about building skills, right? ChatGPT is a real challenge to that, right? Because the temptation, just like it was with the encyclopedia for me, just like it was when Wikipedia came out, this is now like the you know, Star Wars version of that, right? And you can just put that question in there and get that answer back and perhaps earn a really good mark off of that. But you will have built no fundamental skills. And at some point in life, the rubber meets the road with skills. Like, it just does, right? Like, at some point in life, you're going to want to sell something to draw investors into your business, right? And if you don't know how to write, you're not going to be able to sell. No one wants to read a RFP, a request for prospectus, that's gibberish. That's not clear and poignant and built on research. And if you don't build those skills now, you're going to have poor RFPs, right? And if you have poor RFPs, you're going to be at a disadvantage in the business world. I'm just using business as an example. If you haven't built your memory capacity, right, through biology, then it's going to be really hard to be a doctor, right? You need a really good working memory as a physician, right? And so practicing building your memory capacity actually matters when you become a doctor. So for you individually, the challenge right now, being the first generation to encounter this technology, is a real personal challenge because you're in this, like, like when I started at YU, um, it was the beginning of like high-speed internet, right? And you could just get anything you wanted, like music, videos, everything was just available. The why, the why you had this network and like every episode of The Simpsons or Seinfeld was, was all there, right? And then content creators started cracking down and it became harder to just download material. But there was this like little golden era of you could just take anything you wanted for free, even though it was probably totally not okay to do that. But that was, that was available to you. You're sort of the, the generation that has this capacity before everyone reacts to it, right? Before there's sort of a bunch of policies put in place. So that means the weight and the burden of the decision, like do I want to sacrifice my skills, right, for, um, for this immediate reward of being able to put out this paper and get it done before anyone notices, that's all on you. And that requires you to have a certain forward-looking perspective. Think about it this way. It requires you to think about schoolwork the way you would think about working out, right? The way you would think about eating healthy, the way you would think about getting enough sleep at night, anything that you need to sort of put your body in a good position to succeed. Now, 
I also think all of this that's going on is going to be really good for education in general. Because I think education has this problem in that we haven't in brought you into the process of education enough. Right? So until now, we've been able to rely on a model of education that's essentially the same as it was 150 years ago. Right? You would be, if you went to your parents and said, well, what topics did you study in high school? Chances are they studied more or less the same subjects you're studying in high school. But the world that they graduated into is so fundamentally different from the world that you're graduating into. And education, maybe more than any other industry, has been ripe for a change. And I believe that change is a shift from like, oh, you must learn algebra, you must learn geometry, you must learn this, you must learn that because the state or whoever decided that this is what you have to learn, right? Two, no, 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 you must develop core skills, right? Like you have to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how to be a critical thinker. You have to learn how to make good connections. Now, maybe algebra is the best way to do that, but maybe logic is a really good way to do that. Or maybe there's a better set of skills that's more suited to what you want to do or what your particular learning profile is. That's the evolution that education has not gone through yet. You're still more or less told the subjects you have to learn, as opposed to creating a, a joint partnership between you and the school based on the skills you have to learn. And I think that this ChatGPT is going to, or this idea of AI-driven papers is going to revolutionize education enough that we'll be able to or will inevitably need to shift more towards that model. So it's good in the long run and a real challenge for you all in the short run. So just before we take questions from you guys, I want to know Rabbi Torchina, Rabbi Danziger, do either of you have something you wanted to say to sort of add on to the conversation or respond to something that somebody else has raised? No, I'm good. Wow. That was really good. Perfectly on point. Okay, um, questions from you guys for our panel? Go ahead, Nancy. Um, so, like, I feel like with ChatGPT, it's something that we should, it's not something that, like, when teachers talk about it, they say, like, as if a student's going to only use it all the time. But let's say, like, a student has, like, a class that he's, that he's in that he doesn't, like, care so much about, that he doesn't, like, Let's say someone's in staff, they want to become a psychologist, like, oh, just kidding, right. something like that. Like, or a student needs to get something in quickly. Like, in certain situations, it could help out. And like, I know like, in other classes, we build our English writing skills, our, but like, what if like, in a specific situations, people need to like, submit something quickly? Or like, I feel like it could just be a way to, to help. So let me take that from the education perspective, and then Rabbi Chachin, maybe you'll take it from the halakha perspective. So, so from an education perspective, I think you're right. I think your teacher needs to make very clear what the purpose of your assignment is. Like, what are you trying to, what is the teacher trying to help you build in that assignment? So let me give you an example. When I taught business, right, I would allow students to use Wikipedia as a source. Why? Because my goal in giving an assignment was not building research skills. In other words, from the perspective of, I want you to read a lot of information and pull out relevant information. It was much more, I want you to research a stock, right? And I want you to know, just get, get me some information on this stock, right? When I taught economics, I did not allow students to use Wikipedia as a source. Because in economics, I really wanted students to build sort of a deeper knowledge of how the whole system works. And in order to do that, Wikipedia was just too brief a source. 
right? So to answer your question, ChatGPT could be helpful, but it depends on what the goal of the assignment is, right? And that's where, this is what I'm talking about, the change, right? I think also teachers have gotten used to the idea of, oh, I have this general question and assignment. I can kind of put together a loose rubric, right, of what you need. But I think it's really important for teachers to start articulating, like, what am I looking for you to build here? And if I'm looking for you to build comprehensive research skills, then ChatGPT is really not going to help you build those skills, right? And if I'm looking for you to build just, you know, gather information as quickly as possible, then sure, ChatGPT could be really helpful because it's almost like a search engine that, you know, is giving you really clear and concise answers. And there is one research skill I think that maybe ChatGPT is actually something that we should be teaching how to do, and that is how to ask your questions. So that's an important part of research, is knowing what, what to look for, what are the key phrases that you're looking for, how to word your question in a concise form that actually targets exactly the information that you're trying to index or that you're trying to find. Uh, and that's something that, that, I mean, would have to be done even if we were teaching. We used to, way back, we used to teach how to search in Google properly. I don't know if that's something that's still done, but it's probably something that should be. Right. I mean, from, from the halachic standpoint, it really depends on what you just said in terms of how necessary is this particular exercise for the achievement of your goals. If the answer is it's really not necessary for it, this is, this is necessary for certain other things, but the chat GPT aspects of it are just saving you time as opposed to keeping you from learning what you need to learn, then you aren't you know, frustrating the investment in the tuition dollars. You aren't harming yourself in that, in that regard. On the other hand, um, the issue of the lie, putting your name on it when you didn't do it, is an issue whether it's once or whether it's a hundred times. It's an issue whether it's you know on just this little assignment or, or any other. I think I don't think you get around that um, you know that that problem. And I think the problem of causing others to harm themselves if this is something that they need because we learn a lot through repetition. The fact that I've had to do 99 essays has taught me something. When I do my 100th, I'm actually going to learn something more from it. Whatever that magic number is where you've done enough, I don't know. I think that's an educational question. But, the, um, but fundamentally, if I'm going to cause others, again, to opt for this and not learn what they need to learn, I still have a problem. So I, I agree with you that it reduces some of the severity. At bottom, still, putting my name on something that I didn't do you know, is going to be an issue. I don't know what their what their plans are for the future. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure, there's a difference. If, I mean, you know, look, you know, anyone who's done any research, you're gonna, you know, it's not crazy to use secondary sources to, um, you know, to find primary sources. Um, so look in the footnotes of an article and then say, oh, here's a primary source. The real question, from my perspective, in terms of research, is well, what do you do with that then? Is you just rip that footnote out and put it on your paper, that would be very dishonest, right, and also serve no real purpose. Or do you go discover that source, right, and then read through it and understand, and understand what it's saying, in which case it's good research. And that's always been, right, the line between plagiarism and research, right, is, is what do you actually do on the back end with that, with that source? Caleb? Excellent question. So until now, I've been talking about adaptive problems, like big 
cultural problems, you're asking a technical question. Like, in point of fact, what is going to stop a teacher from seeing a piece of dishonest work and, and, and seeing it as such? Um, so I'll give two thoughts on this. Number one is, so far, and this is obviously a little bit silly because we presume everything's going to get better with time, right? But so far, what I found really interesting is there's a, a British author. His name is Ian Leslie. He wrote an article where he said that the real issue with ChatGPT is not how intelligent computers are getting, but it's how robotic humans have gotten. And the argument he made essentially was that the, the effort to make everything super fair and equitable in education over the years has created the over-rubricized assignment, right? So everything has this very clear rubric now of you have to meet criteria A, B, C, and D, and that's really easy for an artificial intelligence bot to kind of hit all the points up. So when they went and took a bunch of ChatGPT-generated papers and showed them to professors without giving them right, an indication that it was artificial intelligence, said just you know, rate the quality of this work, the professors almost all remarked, well, it meets the criteria of the assignment, but it's not a very good paper. Right? Meaning the professor was looking at it and said, yes, it hit all of these key marks because the artificial intelligence was able to fit the rubric, but it just doesn't strike me as being a really strong paper as if someone, there's some intangible element that was missing in the paper. Right? When I was in school, there were no such thing as rubrics. Right? You, teacher gave you a general assignment, and the teacher marked you based on what impressed him or her as a teacher. Now, that was really unfair and really hard to argue about. And if you didn't get a good mark, it created all of these ethical problems, which were real. right? But it also made you have to have a human-to-human -human connection. Like, you had to go out and take, and if you had a really good English teacher, this was great. If you didn't, it wasn't as great. But if you had a really good English teacher, you had to go out and impress that person with what you were writing. right? So I, I think that teachers are going to move, to answer your question more practically, teachers are going to move away from, right? if if they want to look at this carefully, from overly rubricized assignments. Maybe it's creating a new category within a rubric of, hey, this felt really powerful to me or impactful, being more subjective in marking, right? And also, I would say, making students do in-class work that matches up to work they do at home, right? So you can create some contrast between, like, what are you doing when technology is not available to you, and what are you doing when technology is available to you? Um, yes, sir? Going back to the first question, it's more, more a question of who's the rat, but yeah. what skills, if any, like, could you be gaining by, by typing a question into ChatGPT and submitting exactly what it gives you? How is that? How is that You're going to, to, to the first question we asked. How is that building any skills? So the only thing I can imagine is this. If you don't know anything about a topic, right? So you really have no clue about that topic, and you want to, like, like, let's imagine you watched a documentary on something. All of a sudden, you have some clue of what's going on in that topic, right? So ChatGPT, you know, in a better way maybe than Wikipedia, can just give you an overview of what's going on in that topic. So you're now literate to go out and look at what you, know, you want to research and what areas you want to go to, right? So like if I was preparing for a debate, like I would be really interested and asking ChatGPT to generate a response for me. Because two things are happening. I need to know about the topic. I also need to hear different articulations of arguments within the topic. So it could help me sort of get my frame of mind around it. Does that make sense? I, I have a thought about that also in terms of uh, self-guided learning. So there's tremendous value when a student sets learning goals and a particular path for themselves. 
Um, and I played around a little bit with the chat in terms of asking it to create a, uh, a Talmud curriculum for grade nine. And it actually puts it down into like points, like unit one would be the history of the Talmud, unit two, major characters in the Talmud, whatever it is. So for a student to, to help create some kind of a self uh, map of what do I need to do in order to know this particular thing well, and it creates a list for you, and that becomes like a map that you follow. Yeah, um, I think there's two big things. Number one, to what you said, Sarah, um, with it being almost robotic with the rubric, that if assignments are robotic to the point where uh, a chatbot can write a good essay, then they're probably not very good assignments. Um, but B, I think that if you use ChatGPT properly, there's nothing wrong with it. Because if you're using it properly, you're putting in your own notes and you're asking it proper questions and you're allowing it to go on based, in, based on what the information that you put in and not what the information that it actually learns. Because it's not going to give you a good essay if you just ask it on the information that it already knows. Right, but the, the problem you're going to run into is that that's all well and good in terms of information, but in terms of the actual exercise of taking your thoughts and organizing them and writing them out in a way that's compelling for the reader, you've completely lost it. You could reformat it later. Like, when, when, I think when students say reformatting, they don't mean asking ChatGBT to reformat a paragraph. They mean they take it, they put it in a doc, and then they like physically edit it. Is that the same thing as starting to draft your own thoughts from scratch and outlining everything? It's pretty similar. I mean, we go off of what, <laughs> Come on. like, if we start off from what a, a slide from a teacher gives us, um, and we kind of reformat that in our own words, which is what a lot of students do, it's not much different than getting it from any source on the internet. Even Wikipedia, like, a lot of students will copy Wikipedia so let me give you the real-life corollary, I think, to what you're saying. And I, I agree with everybody, Torchino, that I don't think it's the same thing. I, though I agree with your first point, that assignments need to get better. Meaning I, I think that that is, that is an inevitable, that's what I mean by the, I think that will be a positive long-term outgrowth, that it will force teachers to do better in terms of creating assignments. Um, but the, the real-life corollary is um, you've developed some product, right? And you now need to pitch that product. Right? You can't ask ChatGPT to do that for you. It's a brand new product. Right? You've invented it. You have to take first principles, the basic foundations, and figure out how to articulate up from there what your product is, what its differentiating proposition is, what its strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. All of that intellectual apparatus has to be built from the ground up. Right? School is the way you practice doing that. Right? And so if, you ha if you've sort of created this crutch at that ground level where someone's giving you all that information because the teacher happened to ask you to do that about something that already existed and is in the database, then wonderful, you've successfully accomplished an assignment, but you have not built those skills on the base level. Sammy. I'm not Sammy. <laughs> Evan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How do I think about it as a tool outside of school? Um, I mean, I think about it like watching YouTube. Like, it's an educational tool, right? Like, I mean, I've, I've learned so much from YouTube, right? Like, just surfing around and finding random things that are really interesting to me. Um, and I've, I, I, when I have a question, I, well, I mean, I'm a visual audio learner, right? So I like, I mean, I like to sort of hear things. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool to give you information on stuff. Um, uh, potentially, it's a great tool. I mean, it depends what question you ask it. Um, Gavi. Yeah, I just want to ask a question specifically on the fairness of it. You guys are saying that it's not fair to your peers to be using it. ChatGPT is a tool, right, that we have now in school and we're going to have later on. And there are other things that aren't fair in school, like let's say you're in business class.
class and your dad's an investor, you have to write a write-up. So you just use his write-up of the company and just write it down and you get a great mark, right? Like, things aren't fair. Like, it's not fair that, that you have these tools. But at the end of the day, everyone has ChatGPT and everyone's always going to have it. So, you know, life's not fair. Why can't we just use it? I mean, yeah, my thought would be, you're right, that life isn't fair already, and there are different advantages and disadvantages that people bring to the table. Your example's a good one. Um, but that doesn't mean that we add more unfair things, right? Because the game is already not on a level playing field, so who cares? Let's just be less level, especially when, going back to the point that I made before, this could actually be bad for somebody else. Maybe you already know how to write. Maybe you're a gifted writer. Maybe you worked on it when you were in lower grades. But the other student is going to lose out. And in halacha, we are concerned about the impact of your actions on other people. And we are concerned that you are going to cause somebody else to make a bad decision. That's lift naiver. And the Rambam goes very far with that. And he says, even when the other party knows it's wrong, and yet they do it, if you tempt them into it, you're still responsible. Like, that's how far it goes. So you're right. It's unfair. It, you know, we're, we're in an unfair world already, but I don't think we're justified in saying, therefore, I'll take advantage of this. Yeah, I, I want to add one thing, very from a sort of spiritual perspective here a little bit, but I, I think it's important. Um, honesty, when it comes to honesty, that is literally, like, think about a child, right? What, what incentive does a child have to tell the truth? Like very little, right? There's a famous comedian who sort of had this thing. You, know, you go over to a kid and you're like, did you eat the chocolate? And the kid has a choice. Like, say yes and I'm in trouble. Say no and the adult's like, all right, <laughs> move on, right? Like every incentive from when you're a little kid is to kind of be dishonest as long as you can get away with it, right? So you, we learn that lesson really early on that there's a very fine line between honesty and dishonesty. And it's actually only when we become adults and abstract thinkers, as you all are becoming cognitively at this stage of your life, right? that we have this ability to override some of those natural expedient instincts right, to be dishonest and choose to be honest. The best description of this task of being honest that I heard actually came from Jordan Peterson. Um, and he said that when you choose to be honest, you're actually fundamentally expressing emuna in Hashem, Right? I don't think he meant it that way, but I would, I'll say it that way. Right? You're fundamentally expressing Emunah and Hashem. Why? What is Emunah at its funda most fundamental state? Emunah is the idea that I don't have control over the outcomes, right? and I am sort of turning to God and basically putting my best hope and aspiration that these outcomes will go well. So sometimes in life, that has to happen. Like, God forbid, someone's sick, right? and you, they want to get better. And they're doing everything they can do, but at some point, they just need to give over that hope to God. But when we actively choose to do that, meaning we can take, when you're dishonest, you're effectively saying, I need to control things. I need to control the outcome of this, right? Because I know everyone else is doing it or whatever it is, and my best chance of getting to this outcome is to be dishonest, right? So that is a fundamental lack of faith. Right? When you choose to exert control over the situation. But if you can choose to say, I don't need control over the situation. I'm actually going to have faith that by doing what I believe is the right thing to do for me, things will work out in the long run, then, um, then that's actually a fundamental act of the moon now. So I, I think I would argue that that you know the 
it, it, the analogy to working out is apt. Like, at some point, if you don't exercise your muscles, they atrophy, right? So let's take writing, for example, because I agree with our writer Chiner that that is probably the most important skill you need to pick up in high school. It's actually the hardest skill to figure out later on in life. Learning how to write is the most important thing. Writing is really a muscle. So I, a long time ago, committed to writing every day of my life. Because I felt like when I took long periods off from writing, I didn't actually exercise that skill. And I think that's true for most critical thinking skills as well. Is you need to kind of continue to practice them. Right? Think about yourselves. When you come back from the summer, for those of you who sort of are really focused as students, right? you come back from the summer, your brain kind of feels a little mushy to start. Right? Like you're not in the in the mood, you're not in the swing of things, you're not used to studying, you're not used to sort of being in that in that mode. And that's just because you haven't been practicing. And there's obviously a room for space and time off and giving yourself mental breaks, but at the same time, like skills are just the thing you need to keep practicing. Also for Mr. Rapp, um, so you said that you think that this is gonna bring some sort of push to an educational change. Yeah. change. Do you think that to do that, there would need to be some sort of risk that students, that all students are just going to start not developing the skills they're using? Or do you think that it's just the fact that it exists is going to cause the change? So I think it's going to force, so this is really great. So there's a, a, um, a British author who, who said the following. He said, I don't think, I, everyone is focusing on the wrong thing with ChatGPT. They're focusing on the fact that the computer has become so intelligent like a human. But what they really should be focusing is on how humans have become less intelligent like computers. And what he meant by that was, over time in school, assignments have become overly rubricized, right? So there's this rubric, and you have a set of fixed criteria to meet, right? And the teacher basically is measuring, well, if I hit A, B, C, and D, I have to give the student the mark that they're looking for, right? When I was in school, there were no rubrics. The purpose of an assignment was impress the teacher. Now that created lots of problems, but it also gave you a human-to-human -human interaction. It was like, I needed as a human, right, to impress this other human being. So they showed, what they, they did a study where they took papers that ChatGPT wrote, and they surveyed a bunch of university professors, right? Not telling them it was ChatGPT papers, right? And what did the university professors say back? They said, well, these papers technically meet the criteria of the assignment, but they just don't feel like good papers. Right? And to me, that's sort of the key is I think that as ChatGPT can sort of short circuit the system and get results, but without any of the work, schools are going to be forced to adjust. And they're going to be forced to change things. So for example, on a very basic level, I think you'll start to see this even in your time in high school, teachers are going to start doing more in-class writing assignments. Right? To sort of match up with what you're doing at home. Right? So it's like, how well can you write when you're in class? And how well are you writing when you're at home, so we can see if there's a distinction. That's just a very, very small thing, but I think those types of changes will grow more and more, and that will be good for your learning in the long run. I think, I think Ezra's question was, do all students need to start cheating before we make these changes, or is the fear of uh, chat GDP enough for us to, uh, GPT, to, for us to start making these changes? Oh, no? That, that was or wasn't? It was a part of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, the short, I mean uh, my short answer to that would be that, that students cheat. Like that happens. Like it's not. It's not a. It's not a secret, <laughs> right? Like, like cheating is there. Um, ultimately, the, the 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 ultimate stop of cheating is yourself, right? Like ultimately, and that gets into what Robert Cheater said, right? Which should certainly not be lost. Like at the end of the day, you have to decide what person you want to be, right? I have a good analogy for this, but I'm not sure it's the right opportunity. Um, we'll go back to this side. I don't want to do twice. I want to do something else. Yeah. 
Confession probably the Chainer. And the Confession about how far does that extend? I mean, a student's like staying up all night to do work, in some extent he's making other students feel bad that he values sleep but isn't isn't putting the same effort. So how far does that apply? Like you're saying it applies in chapter two, where is the, the line drawn? Right, so that's a good question. Um, for those who, who didn't necessarily hear it, the question is, how far do we go with this issue of lift Iver, where I'm saying that if you use ChatGPT, you're now going to cause others to feel pressure that they have to do it. Um, you know, does that apply if you're gonna go above and beyond in other areas? So I think really, um, where you can define something as either being a violation of halacha or uh, an act of harming oneself. Losing sleep in order to do an assignment um, is a little bit more vague in terms of the harm that's done to oneself than taking performance-enhancing drugs. Um, a lot depends on what the person's sleep needs are, how often the person is going to lose their sleep, is this a long-term thing, or is this for, for one night? So that would be less of a consideration, I think, for me. Um, it's more of an issue where you can really define either it is, sir, right, they're going to have to do something wrong in order to compete with me, or a concrete form of, uh, of harm or bad decisions for themselves that they're going to need to take on in order to be able to compete GPT as an ad blocker essentially, right? Yeah, that's a it's an, it's an ad blocker question. So I'll regulate us because I want I want to think it through a little bit. I think it, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting question. The the answer wouldn't be on the person who is using ChatGPT as much as it would be on the manufacturers of ChatGPT who are hoovering up this information, right? They're vacuuming it off of the sites and then providing it without the app. The, the question is, am I in violation of something by benefiting from their work? Or similarly, Rabbi Burke has sent, the, sent me an article, I think he sent it to the panel, um, about the way they train it they, uh, and how the way they trained um, the AI. And one of the concerns that they had was offensive information making it into the database. And so they had people making very, very small amounts of money, like $2 an hour, reviewing the material in the database, which was at times traumatic, in order to filter out the things that would be bad. So I, as a user of ChatGPT, am a beneficiary of unethical work practices. My gut offhand is, and you know, again, something to really think through, my gut is to say that there's no firm halakhic liability for taking advantage of that. There is definitely an ethical liability for taking advantage of that. The, um, that's where I, I think that's where I would land on it. I would think it through a little bit. That's, that's where I would go with it. Max? What does GPT stand for? I'm not sure. No Don't know. Um, all the way in the back. Yeah. If everybody in a sports league takes steroids, then how is it unfair? So, no, I think, I think that's true. Meaning, it, the, the issue of pressuring others to harm themselves 
um, doesn't apply in the event that everybody is, in fact, engaging in whatever the harmful activity is. If it's illegal, I still have the problem that I'm breaking the rules. But I no longer have the problem that I'm pressuring somebody else. You have, by, by entering into a dystopian world in which everybody is doing bad things, you have succeeded in eliminating one of the halakhic concerns. Right, I, I'll, I'll just add to that, like, I mean, to me the best example of that in sports is bodybuilding, right? That's probably the, the one sport where, where um, you literally cannot compete unless you're taking steroids. I'm not even sure if it's legal, to be honest with you, in bodybuilding, um, but you will not succeed at that level. Um, whereas in other sports, I think you can say that a lot of people took, right, um, but maybe not everyone is. Um, but to, to just reiterate what Richard Chiner is saying from the educational perspective, you still don't build those skills. And at some point, I mean, the example I gave to, to a student in the last session is at some, you know, you, you, you're finished university, you're off in the business world, you've got a brand new product that you want to bring to market, right? There's no research on this product before, there's no artificial intelligence going to give you information. You need to take that product and build a case for an investor to invest in you making that product. That means you need to be able to organize your thoughts, you need to understand the technical side of the product, you need to be able to put it into a request for a perspective that's clear and understandable, you need to be able to give that and present that to people who have been investing money for 30, 40, 50 years, who have no time or patience for you because they're multi-billionaires, right? And you need to be able to convince them that your product is good. If you haven't built the skills to do that, you will not be able to do that. So at some point, right, you might, you might have some immediate, you know, sort of thought justification. Well, everyone's doing it. I have to do it, right? But that's an only an access argument. You know, that's only going to help get you access to the next stage. It's not actually going to help you build those, those, uh, those skills. I'm not sure if I was on that side. Yes. Go ahead. Um, in, in regards to <coughs> building skills and cheating using ChatGPT, how far does that go? Because, like, if you're writing an essay, what, what crosses the threshold of it writing an essay? Even if you don't say write the essay, you can say write the outline, write a summary, like just how far does it go? Great, like, great question. That's a really great question. So I think that this is where teachers, and, and I think this will happen over time, need to do a really good job of telling you what they're looking for you to do on the assignment. So for example, I would use ChatGPT the same way I use YouTube. Right? Like if I want to get an overview of a subject, right, I'll Google, I mean I'm a big video guy, so I'll Google on YouTube. I'll see if someone created a video on that topic, right? And I'll watch it just to get sort of an overview of the topic, right? That could be really helpful for you as you're figuring out something you want to learn. But if the teacher is seeking for you to do that work on your own, right? And that's part of the learning goal of your assignment, right? Is that you need to actually learn how to build this information from different sources, not just take it from one source then that would essentially be stepping over that line and not, you, know, you would just be choosing not to build those, those skills. Yeah, but with the, like, building the skills specifically, um, generally in the real world, let's say when you're doing a job, often when it, there's not going to be a, a rubric of you have to do the research from different sources. So when it comes to actually building those skills, maybe even if you're not using the chat GTP to write, write what you want to write, it's still getting everything you need. I think that's a great point. And that, that's really important for us to validate here, right? Technology, to some extent, will make certain things that we do obsolete, which is already has, right? Like, like the basic idea of, e even just in general, not having to look things up. Like, you might experience already that your teachers are less focused on memorization than my teachers were. Because when I was in school, it was seen as, look, you just have to know this information. 
right? But now, a lot of teachers think, and I think fairly so, well, most information, right, like history, let's say. Like, how important is it to memorize dates in history? When it literally is in my pocket. I can figure out, if I'm curious about it, I can figure out where, you know, what happened at a particular date. So there is some element where artificial intelligence will replace certain things we have to do. My argument is that right now, ChatGPT, right, writing a paper for you is not that. That it's critically taking away core skills that you will need, right? Because like I, the example I just gave, if you have a product, you're springing that product to market, you're gonna need to figure that whole thing out on your own. And so far, there's no artificial intelligence that can do that for you. It's, it's no different from the fact that when you and I were in school, we were not allowed to use a calculator on an exam or with homework assignments. But at some point, calculators became so pervasive that teachers started saying, for this you can use a calculator, for this you should not use a calculator. They started differentiating. The same thing is going to happen with ChatGPT. You're allowed to use it for this, you're not allowed to use it for that. It's on the teacher to specify what they want you to, uh, to, to benefit from. Tani? Uh, is that anywhere I want to use it or no? <laughs> so that is that ultimately comes down to your teacher, right? So ultimately, the, the, the expectations of the assignment should be made clear by your teacher, right? So if the expectation, and again, not, you know, don't use ChatGPT. That level of explicit instruction, you don't need, at least the way we're presenting it, right? If part of what you're being evaluated on is your research and ability to create an idea or thought from scratch, then the answer to that question would be I know you've got your hand up for a second question for a while, so go ahead. I have two points. The first one, with the professors, you said that they said it was well written into the outline, but it didn't exactly look good. I say, as judging people are two months old, we'll keep learning, eventually it will be able to make things better and better. They actually have a new model of ChatGPT that's not released yet, that if you ask it, it won't even tell you what it is. So, you said it helps us to use it, it'll hinder us from developing any critical skills, especially with the new model. In five years, we're only going, we're going to university, most of us, in two, three years, and we have four years if we even have a job. So by then, even the stuff with the product, it could more than easily be able to do all of that by then, making most of the skills obsolete. Yeah, I mean, I think that proves the point, though, right? I agree. It will grow with time. But ultimately, it won't make the skills obsolete. The skills will still be there, still be there. right? You'll still need, like at the end of the day, you, you, you know, we could just send the computers to university, they could be taught by other computers, and you could have a whole society of computers getting educated, but then who's making the computers, right? Right, I mean, maybe it's the end of the human race <laughs> in, the long, in the long run. I mean, that's, that's the reality I would like not to see, right? Like, I think human beings still have what to add to society beyond beyond computers. But but I agree with you in principle, yes. I think eventually it will become more of a matter of That's so dystopian. <laughs> and it's not necessarily in a bad way, but eventually humans won't need to do as much work. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we see that already, right? Like, we, we, we have to do less work than we did, although what's interesting is people are busier than they ever were. People are working harder, I think, than they ever were. Uh, people have less time to think, for sure, than they, than they ever did. Uh, okay, um, where, where, where are we in time? One more question? Okay, one more question. All right, go for it. Yep, yeah. Um, do you think that ChatGPT could replace teachers in the long run? Yes. Well, hundred percent. Here's what I think. <laughs> yeah, that's so exciting. I'm sure. Here's what I think. Um, ChatGPT. ChatGPT will fundamentally change what teachers do. The same way that um, robots changed what factory workers did. Right. So, so it's not that they're not workers in factories anymore. 
But there isn't a worker putting in a screw over and over and over again. Right now, there's a worker who's managing the machines in the factory. Right? So in the same way, I think for a long time this has been developing, it used to be your teacher was the source of information for you. Right? Like you needed your teacher because the information was not there. But even without ChatGPT, you could get a really good education right now on the internet if you really wanted to and were self-motivating. Right? So you, don't, you no longer need your teacher as the primary source of information. But you still need someone to actually figure out what's important for you to learn, to work with you on developing those skills, and to properly measure those skills, right? To properly measure what it is that you're meant to learn, right? So I think the role of teacher will shift from primarily a communicator to being much more of an observer of you as an individual and your growth and your learning, to be someone who helps curate material, helps gather material to meet those needs. But I do think that fundamentally the teacher as we see it today will change over time, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a fundamentally healthy and innovative thing. One more? Okay. One more. Go ahead. Okay. Maybe this is summarizing most of the questions, but you mentioned building these core skills, and my, my word, cheat. If we can cheat through, all with the, through these core skills with ChatGPT, then later in life, we could, again, with a more, uh, a smarter AI, a more efficient AI, more human-like AI, do that in the future. So the skills now, if we look at it at a bigger picture, maybe those skills won't be useful later on. I, mean, I, I would just say what, you know, as you summed up a lot of the questions, I'm gonna sum up, I think, what, what um, a lot of us have been saying, um, which is the skill of working hard and organizing your thoughts is never gonna go out of fashion. There's, there is no world in which you will not need to know how to work hard and how to organize your thoughts and to present them in a written form or verbal form or whatever it is. It may change in terms of the specific form, but you're always going to need to be able to do it. And that's what you're, what you're missing out on if, the, if, you know, if an AI is doing it for you. And let me put that in, in just a little bit more ter terms that might mean something. Like, if your competition is doing that, right? So, like, that, the idea that you, got, like, you guys are in a relatively comfortable place, right? So you're you know, generally socioeconomically fairly comfortable, you're going to this private school, you're getting a really good education. There's someone who's coming from nothing, right? Who's working really, really, really hard to develop themselves as a human being. That's your competition. That person in the future wants money from an investor. And if that person knows how to work hard themselves and organize their thoughts really well, they're going to do better than the person who's, you know, is nothing without an app on their phone to tell them what to do. It's kind of the, the way I would frame that more simply. And with that very exciting and uplifting note of, of your future being crushed by the competition, um, thank you very much to our panelists. Thank you all. <laughs>